Welcome to episode 78 of Shanley and I'm Batman. I've got a few bits of knowledge to drop on you here real quick. Um, this is an old episode. We speak with John Callen in the middle of the episode, and he's a writer for Justice League Action. Um, we were asked not to air this until Justice League Action aired, and... Uh, between the time that that happened, I misplaced this file on my computer, and I've been scrambling for like a week to look for it, and it's been a big mess. But uh, I found it, and I'm uploading it. It's here to listen to. The first half of this podcast is a lot of news that happened in like November, December like beginning of December, end of November, something like that. It's a long time ago, so if you don't want to listen to it, I understand skipping ahead to 48 minutes is the key here. Um, that's where the John Callen episode starts. So like I said, 48 minutes is the magic number, and that will get you right into the John Callen episode. If you're not familiar with John, you may have seen some of his work on Ben 10, or Slugterra, Lego Jurassic World, and uh, now that Justice League Action is out, you've probably seen that. Uh, we talked to John about his childhood and growing up, getting into superheroes, and all kinds of other great stuff. John was a great guest, man. I had a really good time with him. So, here it is, episode 58 of Shanley and I'm Batman. It starts now. We are here tonight uh, <laughs> talking some Deathstroke. We got a special guest coming up later. We're going to talk some Suicide Squad news. Yeah, it's just been one of those crazy summers. We've got a lot of guests on. It's kind of like a recap of everything that's happened in the last six months, I guess you could say. Uh, talk some BVS. I don't know. Do you want to talk about BVS or have we hit the, like... What's happened to BVS since the last time? <laughs> I don't know. It, it's BVS. <laughs> well, we can talk like I guess we we'll start the show with like Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad's like number ninety-seven or ninety-six on like the worldwide box office list. It just won't go away. Like every week, um, it just keeps making money. Yeah, it just keeps making money. It has legs. Yeah. I feel like that was something that Warner Brothers didn't expect because of the negative reviews that it received. And it's been interesting to like kind of see how it's. Stayed within the the zeitgeist, uh, the psyche of the fans of the film, because it's it's been number one. It was like number one for three or four weeks, and then it's it number two the last few weeks. Like, did that get like an extended play in the theaters? I don't think so. But, but it feels like it's been out, like it's been in the theater forever now, though. Right. It, it just I don't know. It just feels like it's been there for like this a last week and had. It got like another ten million dollars. Right, like that doesn't happen. Like movies, like movies, like 
come and then they just like die a horrible death. So do you think that's a do you think that's a result of people coming back to watch the film again or do you think more and more new people I think are people, coming out of the woodwork? I think it's a combination of both. I feel that's like fair. people I've only had the chance to see it once. I mean, Me trying too. to get it to see it a second or a third time I just haven't had time. Kyle's seen it twice. I'm special. Yeah. I mean, okay, so Kyle, when you saw it the second time were you more impressed with it? Did you enjoy were you did you enjoy it more the second time knowing what you kind of know now? Kyle's and, the anti me and Justin for this film too. He didn't care for it and Justin and I Justin and <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, I mean, like maybe it was slightly more entertaining the second time, but it was still not anything really special to me. It was still kind of just like okay, um, well, this movie's out now. I guess we can move on to the next one. Let's, let's go. Which next is Wonder year. Woman. Yep. I just, like I said, like, it's weird. Like, for something that just got so critically bashed by so many, like, like critics, for it to sort of have legs. And now people are writing pieces and articles saying su- how Suicide Squad is just this tremendous success story. Like, it defeated all odds. But the only th- weird thing is that we haven't seen, like, any news of Warner Brothers greenlighting a sequel. And I know, like, Scott Eastwood has said that he recently came out and said, like, if there's an opportunity to be in Suicide Squad 2, I'd love it. Like, we haven't really heard anything. What's that Sp- look for? Scott Eastwood said that? Yeah, he just said it, like, 20 minutes ago. Okay. I just think he's kind of an odd person to be saying that, all things considered. <laughs> Didn't he die? Yeah, you get blown up by the bomb. Yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> Wait, is he gotta come back as a zombie? <laughs> uh, no, that, that might that might go with my theory of how is that fire how is an explosion killing the fire guy who turns into fire anyway? Maybe it'll be like, surprise, you guys all went back to prison and I hung out like a normal person. Right, and it's 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 just, like, everyone wants to jump on the suicide squad bandwagon now. Now they realize that how mega successful it was yeah like it it had a had a lot uh, going against it going in that first weekend because if it doesn't hit this it's a it's a failure the critics it it was at like 27 percent on rotten tomatoes like this like every like every obstacle it faced like leading up to the release of it and then the subsequent release of the film it it hurtled over it because remember like Weeks before that, they're like, oh, they had to do editing of the movie. They wanted more pop. Then after that, you heard that this uh, trailer company, like trailer editing company, edited the film together. And then you heard that there was two competing cuts. Like it had so much going against it. And for it to kind of resonate with fans, like, oh, you know, like it's not a, a perfect film by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but it definitely resonated with core audience members so it's been an interesting summer for that for sure and because of the success i feel like it greenlit the justice league dark and that's something we haven't really talked about because we've been doing away for a little bit we've all been kind of like on vacation i took a little hiatus a little break kyle got a new job tom just i don't know what tom's been doing don't worry about it i feel like tom's trying to make a new like alcoholic beverage no. Blue Crystal. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, we haven't had a chance to talk about Justice League Dark is, uh, is in the, is in the works now, and the director of Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom, was that Tom Cruise? The Live, yeah. Die, Repeat, yeah. which is a good film. Yeah, it was. And he, d- he directed the first 
Born Born movie, Born Identity. Uh, Doug Liman, he is directing Justice League Dark. That new Born movie sucked. I haven't seen the new Born <laughs> it movie. It sucked. Was it? I heard it. I heard it mixed things. I found a good link to it, and I watched a little bit of it. I heard it was basically it just off. like a regurgitation of all the previous bon- it, uh, Born movies. It really was. I turned it off. I was like, "Well, seen this before." Really? Yeah. Interesting. Mid demon. But it's like it's because Guillermo del Toro was supposed to direct Justice League Dark, and I thought that was oh, that really up awesome. his really up his alley, and just they just never could work out the deal and, and negotiations for that you know like it just kind of percolated for too long if you know anything about Guillermo del Toro like the, if the, like when the Hobbit was gestating for a long period of time he's like I'm gonna go do other things I don't got time to wait for this it's kind of the same thing with Justice League Dark it's like I'm gonna go direct other things I want other I want other opportunities I have other practices like to, to go off and make I still feel like there's a film in the DC universe that's for for Guillermo del Toro, we'll wait and see what that is. Maybe Green Lantern. I feel like I feel like Green Lantern would be kind of like like a space opera. He's a huge Star Wars fan. I know Kyle's giving me like this weird look right now. Like, eh. I would just get weird vibes from a Guillermo del Toro Green Lantern movie. Because like to me, I know more as like a guy that does a lot of body horror kind of things or like a lot of monsters. So I'm just like. No, I, can't. I don't really see him be going in space and having like people in green suits flying around. But I mean, the I do agree I, that there's probably a place for him somewhere. But I just don't know what that is right now. There's so many things, and like when you get Doug Liman in it, he just—he's one of those directors that you know his work, but he's not like the Nolans or the Spielbergs, or you know, he's not like a top heavy hitter film director like a jj abrams like he's like you know oh yeah i saw edge of tomorrow is really good but you don't know who directed that movie and i feel like he has his pedigree his his ability to direct those kind of like those kind of films are really gonna bode well for the dc and it's weird that they're kind of focusing on this justice league dark movie now i don't i don't know if it's a response to um, to like the success of Suicide Squad, but it's I feel like you're gonna kind of confuse people with the like Justice League. I just saw Justice League. What's just Justice League Dark kind of a thing? So we got Justice League, Justice League Dark, Justice League Two, <laughs> Justice it's, League Action, Justice League versus Suicide Squad. Yeah, that's gonna be like a that's gonna be a comic. So there's yeah, a lot of is, Justice League right. stuff coming up, and so you get to see all these iterations of the Justice League, and no one's gonna know which one to. To, to be down with and a lot of people like I saw like a meme on uh on Twitter where they were talking about Justice League Dark and everything and like how it's how it's like the whole like tone of the movies have been like super super dark and everything and people thought that that was like the actual like title of the movie was Justice League Dark because it was these films have been considered so so you know so dark so I don't know what I mean what do you guys think about this Doug Lyman coming in and Really taking the reins of this film, Tom, you're just kind of shaking. Your I head. don't really know anything about it, to be honest. Well, you know, Deadman's gonna be in it. Swamp Things, Atano. Well, yeah, I know that. I, I don't know. There's just so much. Like we just said, there's so much Justice League stuff coming out, and it's just that's never been like Justice League Dark's never been 
my cup of tea. You know what I mean? I've never run out to get into it or anything like that. I'll watch it, of course, but as far as it being like something on my radar that I'm sitting on the edge of my seat for, it's just not how it is. I'm not, and I'm, I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I don't disagree with you, but I'm not, I'm not like 100 percent with you on that either. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to see Swamp Thing and De- uh, Dead Man Zatanna. I just. They have to really, for me, they have to get this a manageable budget. I don't want to see anything above a hundred million dollars. Keep it to like seventy, eighty million dollar budget. Have the movie come out in like February or March. Don't make it a big marquee, like summer film. Let those other like let Wonder Woman, let let uh Justice League, let Batman, let Superman, let those movies be your big summer and end of the year push. But don't put Justice League on the marquee for that. I mean, that's my two cents anyway. I mean, would you guys agree, disagree? Yeah, I I, I agree. I still agree. I just still am not excited for it to come out. I don't know. I'm just very indifferent with it. It definitely should be a smaller budget film. Well, yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like, uh, if they get, if they get like a big marquee guy behind this movie like a Tom Hanks or Colin Farrell or you know then sure give it the give it the budget it needs but it's one of those off projects you know it's it's more magical I guess you could say like that's kind of like the whole vibe I get behind Justice League Dark anyway so I don't know it's interesting we'll see what happens with it that's all I really have to say about that. Joe Maginello. Yeah. Like, well, Mag- Mag- before we Mag- jump Mag- into it, was, it was finally announced today that Joe Maginello, Manganello, whatever, however you pronounce it. Maginello. Uh, he has been cast as Deathstroke. Was it last week where Ben Affleck, like, showed that footage of Deathstroke? Yeah. Like, it was weird. I was like, is Ben Affleck drunk? Like what the hell's going on? Why is if he, he was holding that camera? He definitely was. I'm like, what? Jesus. Like I thought it was like he was just like taking cell phone. Video here we are. Like, here we are bitching about the quality of a recorded recording and shit. I'm like, is he? Is he? Is somebody like? Did somebody like go on his phone and leak that? Like I really thought like he was either drunk or somebody like hacked into his phone and like posted that Deathstroke stuff. Mm-hmm. It was it was so strange. And then we like like a, like thirty minutes later, there's that big piece that Deathstroke's going to be the main villain, and the the solo Batman film. We'll get to that in a second. But like I said, it was just so strange how they kind of revealed that. And everyone on the internet, that was like the first time that something DC happened, and no one bitched about it. Everyone across the world, oh, yeah, like, yeah Deathstroke. True. Yeah, I didn't see any bitching. So, Kyle, thoughts about that footage that was. It wasn't leaked. It wasn't leaked footage. It was kind of put out there, but it was so strange how. I was like, are they pulling a Deadpool right now? Just like having this test footage come out to see what people think. But uh, yeah, the three uh, people's opinions on it were pretty positive. And because they're in like that new Bat Carrier thing, and then like the Batmobile was like behind it. Yeah, it was something like that. But it was so strange, like. I, I remember sending it, I was like, Deathstroke, and Tom's like, eh. Meh. So, I mean... I said meh. You, were, you weren't excited about it. 
No. Meh. Culture. <laughs> Shout out to Chris Olivier. Uh, he, but it was something, like I said, I was like, what's going on here? Look, this is something different. And like Kyle brought it up. Uh, are they trying to test to see how it plays? It's been it's been so. If so, test passed. I think. Yeah. Like, and I then, mean, the suit looks good. I really like the look of the suit. It make look makes the arrow suit look like crap. Yeah. <laughs> Sad thing is that arrow suit was actually one of the better costumes on the show. It doesn't look as good compared. <laughs> Does not look good as good as compared. Yeah, it looks. It looks straight out of the Arkham game. Either that that's what the that Deathstroke. It looked just straight out of the Arkham. Uh, what is that? Is it Arkham Origins? Origins, yeah. It's, that wasn't the one where you had it like you pushed X and like that's all. Yeah, that tap was it. X. That was it. Kyle remembers that villain. You just tap. The uh, what is it? The electrocutioner or something? Yeah, like that? yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. X now, but I they did. It looked just straight out of the Arkham game. Like the armor looks incredible. And I'm just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like, I'm not DC'd out. I'm just, I guess I'm like newsed out. I'm like, meh, I'll let this all unfold because everything was such a big deal, you know, for the last couple of years about the BVS film and all that. And then when that came out, it somewhat lived up to its expectations with me, but I don't know if it was worth the hype that we got. And I mean, sh- how far out are we from even seeing a solo Batman fit? So we're still like two years out, right? I mean, the the release date for that film hasn't even been set yet. Right, so we're probably at least two years out from Seems even like seeing any of that. Though. Well, I feel, I feel like they're pushing it forward because they want to be in the Ben Affleck business. Well, Ben Affleck straight up said, like, if he don't have time, like, time to commit to writing that film and, like, doing his best that he's just not going to touch it because he doesn't want to make a piece of crap so i mean he's and still we directing it. talking about all the stuff that he's have he's so. gonna have come out and everything so he's a busy dude i think i think that i, I guess it being kind of like the end of the summer and this has been like kind of ongoing since really the beginning of march for all of us like all of like the lead up you know us writing our reviews us going to see the movie us really kind of digesting all the negative press release. I wouldn't say I'm DC'd out or newsed out. I'm just kind of like, I just, it's kind of like we just need like a break, a breather from it all because it seems like every other week there's something negative about DC coming out. And it finally seems like that, that negative patch, that rut they were in, Seems like they're finally coming out of it, especially with Jeff Johns in the lead. I mean, what was it like three or four weeks ago? We we heard that somebody who worked at Warner Brothers posted that thing about how Wonder Woman sucks, and that was a whole big thing. And oh yeah, so like the Deathstroke, like the Deathstroke news is every that was really positive. Everyone responded really positive like that to that. Everyone was ex- really excited for it. Like people are over the moon about it, but like, like I, I feel like Tom here is just like there's so much stuff going on. And it's like how do you keep up with it all? How do you how do you maintain your level of excitement? Like I'm excited now for Wonder Woman, but we haven't really been talking about it because there hasn't been a lot of stuff for it. There's a lot of content coming out, man. Like 
Batman comics are bi-weekly now. I mean, Detectives bi-weekly. And like you said, we've got Justice League versus Suicide Squad coming out. We have in like in January. I mean, all these rebirths are out, mm-hmm. so it, everything's new-ish. It, there's like there's just a lot of con- like for a comic book fan or a fan of a specific DC character. There's almost more stuff than you can process at this moment in time. Right. Exactly. And like we got Justice League Action coming out in October. You got Justice League Woo. Dark coming out. In January, uh, I think is it January that that animated film comes out. I think I saw. I don't know. Like, there's just so much stuff in this. As and we just had Killing Joke come out like a few weeks ago, which we didn't really get the chance to talk about. No, that. we didn't. We talked about that. Justin and I made an appearance on uh, the Irishman's podcast. Graham Days, Graham Geek. Yeah, speaking geek. Check him out. And we talked a little bit about it. But Kyle, what did you think of the Killing Joke? Did you get to see it yet? I did get to see it. I thought the like the first 30, 40 minutes or whatever, completely irrelevant, completely missed the entire point yep. of the Batgirl character. Yep. And then once they actually got into the killing joke, maybe I was just kind of sour about the first part of it, but it just kind of was like, okay, yeah, it's a killing joke, but it's not really excelling at anything. Like, this animation is not fantastic. I didn't the voice acting is not really top-notch, even though it's Mark Camel and Kevin Conroy. It was just like... Are they just cashing in on this right now? Because I feel like this movie didn't need to be released. I'm not a huge fan of the Killing Joke book either. Like that was never that was never one of my. I don't even own it. Get ready to catch some hate. <laughs> and it's not that I, it's not that it's a bad book. Just it just not has never been my cup of tea. And it's not anything against. Alan Moore or the book itself, it's seminal piece, it's seminal work, but for me, like, my favorite stuff has always been Year One, The Long Halloween, Dark Victory, those kind of types of book where they're long and memorable. Like, The Killing Joke, as memorable as it is, it just never has struck that chord for me. Maybe because I'm from a different kind of era where I got, like, you know, I got, like, the Jack Nicholson kind of joker origin i got the joker origin in the animated series you know all that stuff but it just it just has never been like the thing for me yeah i agree i didn't i didn't read it up until recently like a year ago or so like it's it's good kyle let me borrow it kyle handed me the the graphic novel you know and I, i read it like in a day and I remember texting him, and I was like, for all the hype, that not to go back to the hype thing, but for all the hype that this book has, it's just kind of meh. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is about it. It's just kind of meh, though. We, I feel like we've already gotten, like, seminal, like, pieces of, like, Joker, Batman stuff. You know, The Dark Knight, for instance. Like, those are kind of like, whoa. Yeah. Where they're facing, they're really facing off. They're having that psychological and physical battle. Swastika nipples. <laughs> well, I was talking about the movie The Dark Knight. Dark Knight oh, Returns. I thought you were talking about Dark Swastika Knight Returns. Nipples. Well, The Dark Knight could have been better with Swastika Nipples. Improvements. <laughs> <laughs> Director's cuts. This is what we need. Whoops. What are you doing the over best there? Part. <laughs> what is so that's the best another part, dollar Justin? in the jo- <laughs> Justin has a new phone, and for your information, he can't keep his little paws off of it. And he doesn't know how to put it on silent either, obviously. It's not on silent. It's weird. Yeah, we know. So what was the best part? 
of the Killing Joe? No, of what the girl is talking about. <laughs> I don't know. It was a Damn Facebook. Uh, but for me, the best part of the Killing Joke were the credits. <laughs> <laughs> you really didn't like it, Kyle. Nope. Where does that Where does that rank for you then? Like in, in DC animated. Oh, d- definitely on the latter half, or like towards the bottom. And just like, yeah, like maybe the original source material. It's not as good as people say it is, but like this movie itself is just. Doesn't kind of subpar in every. I hated every the regard. animation. I feel like they really, like once they got that R rating, they're like, we got to make a point to make this R rated. You know, it like really felt like they were going out of their way, for. And look, there was like all that like negative backlash about Batman and Batgirl like having sex. And that's totally so, stupid. Yeah, that's why. Why? Why was that written? I feel like... Like, why that scene was written, or why people wrote about that Why scene? was the scene written like that? Like, why? I hate it all. It's rated R. Let's make it fuck. Haven't you ever wanted to be a teenage girl and have sex and with your mentor? bang some dude that could be your grandfather? Yeah, yeah great. <laughs> like, for me... Like... <laughs> uh, Come and do a movie theater near you. Kyle just face-palmed without face-palming. <laughs> Just thinking about this movie is making me angry. <laughs> well, that that whole scene, like the aftermath of that scene, is like, can we just talk about it? Can we? I'm just like, it's like, is this Beverly Hills? Can we talk about it? Should I have left the mask on, or did you like it off? I God, it's like one of the later seasons of Arrow right now. You, you got to take those things on your arms off because they keep poking me. Just well, like like, like I said, like that, like it wasn't so much that scene. It was just like the aftermath. It's like. We gotta talk about it, Bruce. We gotta talk about it. Like, we, I want to be friends with you. It's like, whoa! And it was the like whole... Vicky Vale and Batman. And then the whole fucking like, here's my duffel bag full of stuff. You don't have to worry about me anymore. Like later, was the, it felt like I was watching fucking Saved by the Bell when I was a little kid. It was just, it's bad. It's like bad '90s sitcom bad. That's why I said Beverly Hills 90210. Oh yeah, good call. My bad. I didn't listen. I guess. <laughs> You never listen. I don't listen. I just but it would like, like I don't know, like that scene, like the scene of them actually like being passionate towards each other, like they're partners. Like when you're partners like that, my my father, who's a police officer, always said like that's why a lot of like cops that have like female male like partners, like they always kind of like because you see some crazy shit together. Like you see crazy shit together, you do crazy things together. You're with each other. See that guy get shot. Let's fuck. Twelve, (laughs) fourteen hours a day. Like, that's really what, like, he's, because we talked, like, because he, he saw something, like, on the internet. Like, even he saw something about it on the internet, and we're talking about it. He's like, I mean, a lot of people, like, their partners are like, well, that actually happens. You know, when you're with someone for that long period of time. Good job chasing that criminal down, Dave Mahoney. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I know, I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. But that's the but Does Bruce actually feel that way about Barbara? I think I, Bruce was just had some like pent up anger, and he was like, "Yeah, I might as well get this get this out of here." <laughs> I, guess. I mean, it's been in a long the time since the series they yeah. dated, right? Or is that and that's what kind of broke, like had the issues like with Dick and Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. They kind of did. It was it was weird, but just for me, like it was the scenes after that. It was just like, come on, like. If you're gonna, if you're gonna have something like that, don't let the next few scenes be about like Bruce avoiding her, like 
like <laughs> like high school drama. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't like that. To me, I have bigger so issues. So if with like that. the first, if the first thirty to forty minutes were cut out of that, and we just had like a short, it still just you, be okay. You think it'd just be okay still? I feel like that. I feel like yeah, it would have been okay. But if they could have developed. But, like develop that beginning more because who who cares about like Bruce shuts her down because she's like obsessed with this this like criminal that doesn't even and what was his name like Harris Harris, Harris France yeah, yeah Harris what France. the fuck yeah. <laughs> she even was like you got to be kidding me right it's like I don't care if there's a part of the movie where they're like making fun of his name the fact that you just went ahead and made that his name in the first place is like a huge sin <laughs> so don't do it writers don't do it. I don't care how punny it is. Wasn't wasn't uh Paris the, uh, France? Wasn't the second um, Punisher movie? Wasn't the mob boss's son? Didn't he have like a ridiculous name too? Probably. Yeah, I'm I don't sure. know. I don't Which know. One? Just, there's like four Punisher no, movies. There's two Punisher movies. <laughs> well, no. there's, there's three. Sorry, there's, there's three. Dolph Lundgren. I yeah, love the okay, Thomas Jane. Three. I never saw Punisher Warzone. The, the, the second one is Warzone. So there's three. Yeah. Which Punisher uh, that's, movie? It's, it'd be the third one. Yeah, the third one. I don't remember. My boss has ridiculous. I think the first one does, or not for it, but the uh, the John Travolta one. Just say the John Travolta. Oh my god, one. I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the John Travolta one though. Like I think his sons have ridiculous names too. But that killing joke was just all around too, bad. You're talking about. Oh yeah, Punisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> very punny. He he died. Are you so good he... at Are you good at cardio? <laughs> He makes a kid hold the bomb up. In uh, the, another scene in that movie, oh, like I know we're talking about it, like this is the Batman podcast with the Punisher. Shelly and I'm Punisher. We all like know the, Batman's like one bad day away from being the Punisher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like the Joker. He's just one bad day away. Um, I'm, I do like that Mark Hamill like did like the Mark Hamill voice as like the Joker without makeup. Oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't that the was Joker cool. voice. It was just yeah. But back to the Punisher. He's definitely. Like, <laughs> John Travolta was like. He he died and brought back to life so we could di- oh my God, so we could died. die again. Oh my God, he died and now he's gonna die. <laughs> it's like what the hell? Who wrote this? Lord and help then come me. to find out, Travolta guy, wrote it. Come to find out, the guy wrote it. Like wrote some of my favorite movies. Oh really? Yeah, he wrote like Die Hard with the Vengeance. <laughs> that then he wrote Armageddon. God, I, I just love Bruce Willis. Close my eyes. I saw, I think, is Aerosmith when I hear that fucking movie. That, movie, that song Armageddon just Aerosmith. never go away. Ever. It's like Candle in the Wind. <laughs> Dust oh, in the just, Wind, you mean? No, can, Ellen John. Oh, that one. <laughs> yeah, my bad. So that's Dust in the Wind's worse, though. See? It just trumped Candle in the Wind. <laughs> that's only the number one most bought song of all time, Candle in the Wind. I'm not even lying. Like That's like it. That's the song. <sighs> I thought Bohemian Rhapsody would be number one. No respect. <laughs> We're just like all over the place tonight with this podcast. No respect. Let's talk about Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> I get no respect. He used to walk around backstage with just a robe on and like his man mute would just be hanging out. And he'd be like, hey, how you doing? I don't know. Where's the respect? That's all I got on Rodney. <laughs> so where are we at now after all that pointless ramble? I don't, like Killing Joke. I don't was know. Blame. You guys ready for more DC Batman animated movies? I am. That's they, the, the thing. They, they teased like Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy teased the other day. Batman Hush. Yeah. And what was the other one? Hush was Batman and Hush. Death in the Family. Death, Death in the, the family. family. Of the Family. In or of? In. 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 Death, Death of the in Family. The family. Is Scott Snyder. Yeah, it's fifty-two. Yeah. 
Death in the Family. I would be down for Death in the Family. That would be... I feel like if they wanted to make an R-rated anime movie really badly, that's the one they should have done. Yeah. Anyway, at this point, I'm like, uh, if they're going to mess it up like if that they, one, then no thank you. If they could just be more like Assault on Arkham. Or Dark Knight Returns. Or, Dark, or like Batman vs. Robin. Like If they could have more of that style and pacing to them, I think they'd be big hits. But I think even though they're our beloved Batman and Joker team, Conroy and Hamill, I, after that... Killing Joke, it, it it really made me look at them a lot differently. I'm like, they're kind of losing past their it. Prime. Yeah, they're they're losing it. This isn't, especially the bat. I mean, like the Joker stuff is still there, kind of. But I felt like Conroy's Batman stuff has really gone down the drain considerably. What has? Just Conroy's Batman, like his voice, is I've seen like a lot of people. Like, I just feel like it's. Not like it used to be. The nostalgia is not there for me. Like it, like I feel like it should be. You know, a lot of people are on social media. I've seen like just they they just need to like let it die, and they say the same thing. Like it's good, but it's not. But I... then the guy that they have had for like the last few like animated movies, I haven't liked his voice either. For who, Batman? Yeah. Just bring Ben Affleck and it's simple. That would be Why couldn't they get Michael awesome. Keaton to do it? Oh, that'd be interesting. I don't know. Let's call him. Just get Michael Keaton to do it. Kyle, call Michael Keaton. Alright, I got I got him on speed dial, no problem. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I think it would be I think it's time to pass that torch. I really do. Pass it to Adam West. And Oh, see, I could go for that. I that actually looks really good. They're doing that. That looks really good. Yeah. What's that gonna be in? There's so much Batman. I can't keep him. What do you mean? Like, what, I need, like, what do you mean, Tom? What's he going to be voicing? He's. They're, he, doing, they're like, doing a Batman 66 animated movie coming out this November. See, I'm in the dark about this. There's a trailer for it, and it's hilarious. What the? F- where have I been? Not on the internet. <laughs> Sitting in a shop. Yeah, they have uh, Adam West and Burt Ward coming back to reply to the roles. See, that's cool. I could go for that. I love Adam and like Adam West's voice and like his style has not changed. I mean, yeah, he sounds a little bit older, but like he's still. Hearing him on Family Guy and stuff, like he says some just outrageous, ridiculous, hilarious stuff on Family Guy. Just the funniest shit. The Noid should have avoided me. (laughs) Favorite episode, one of my favorite episodes where I just just bust out when I pissed my pants. I laughed so hard. He's the stuff that this is our job for Adam West. (laughs) (laughs) The stuff they get him to say on that show, like it just. Just to like imagine Adam, like old Adam West sitting in a sound booth saying these ridiculous things. I just wonder what he thinks to himself. Great Scott. We talked about it when we saw, I saw him. At yeah, you seen top. him at a panel and then had a bad question because your <laughs> question got taken, right? I'd say my question was bad, but it wasn't as great as my original question because it was going to ask him. So it was a are bad you question. doing like? Are, would you ever be interested in doing like an animated what like sixty six and like somebody like asked a question and he like proceeded to answer that question then answered the question that I was going to ask so I was like <laughs> where do you oh Adam West where who's who's your favorite Batman like I just went through puberty like all over <laughs> hey again. guys uh, <laughs> my name's like, Justin I, I think I was texting Kyle I was like I, did, I got nothing dang 
Oh, we talked about that in like one of the. We yeah, it was about... our Comic Con, our Detroit Comic Con special, so, where we all went to Comic Con like, together. Oh my god, Adam West. <laughs> Do you have some popsicles in your basement too? I'm just like Herbert. Not, I'm just not even lying. Like I just went like was a pu- like going through puberty again. I was like twelve. I'm excited. I that's the first I've heard of this, so I, I'm excited to hear. Adam there, West just, or Batman so again. Stuff. There is so much stuff. But as far as the Conroy thing, I think Conroy needs to pass the torch. And I mean, Mark Hamill, he's, like I said, he's still kind of got it. But I think it's just time. Like the guy that did the Joker voice on, uh, shit, which animated series was it? Was It, it was The Batman. The Batman. The Batman. He did. He's amazing. When I first started watching that show with my son, I thought it was Mark Hamill. I thought Mark Hamill was doing the Joker voice. So I was like, wow, this is there incredible. There was an animated movie where I watched. It wasn't a Celtic Arkham. It was another one where. Under he the like, Red Hood? Yeah, that guy is really good as the Joker. Yeah, too. he is. He is. Yep. So I don't know. Like, I, I feel you on it. I feel like they just need to have. Kevin Conroy do he just needs to do one thing just do the games okay fair enough just do the games he doesn't have to talk that often did you hear that Kevin just do the games cause like when we get, we're gonna get ba- the Batman VR game and like they just had news coming out that Return of Arkham's coming out in October mm-hmm. so I'll be picking that up are you picking that up Kyle oh yeah probably they finally can you explain what happened since you're kind of in that field of games like why it was postponed I would answer that but they never really gave a reason so I'm guessing they either felt like the release window wasn't good for what they wanted or there were a lot of issues and they had to push it back because of that I I remember like seeing people complain about uh I had some issues with it because when they first showed it, even though it was supposed to be new and updated for modern machines, it looked worse than the ones that came out years before. And I'm like, I don't really want to spend more money on something that looks worse. Like, Why should I do that? Yes. And I feel like I read something and that was one of the reasons. Why, Why does that happen, though? Why does it that when you have like an updated version of a game because this isn't the first time it's happened where it, it looks rougher than the game that you already purchased for uh, a, a console that's five and six years older well there's there's a lot of different factors I can go into but in, specifically in the case of Bat- the Batman games they're, they were upgrading from Unreal Engine 3 to Unreal Engine 4 and that like handles the way light effects work completely differently. So when you looked at it, certain shadows were either not as they're they're not the way they were meant to be. So either you know you get to see more or less of a character's face. So maybe what was underneath was not as polishedly textured as it as it should have been because it wasn't intended to be seen. It was just a whole lot of stuff like that. And like I remember there were a couple of scenes where you look and you're like, why is there like a like a fog around the characters that wasn't there before. Like, why is there fog? Do they think that look cool? Like, there's just a lot of little weird changes they made that they think maybe would better suit the game when they should have just tried to keep it 
the way the original creators wanted. Just, just, just take that, make sure it works on the new machines, and release it. Like you don't have to go out of your way to make it look better because you might just end up messing it up like they probably did. So you think them trying to upgrade everything and make everything much more polished actually at the beginning kind of screwed things up? That's like taking a famous painting and be like, all right, uh, we're going to have our intern over here. Take the take the paintbrush over there. Yep, like that. And then uh, go touch up this painting because, you know, it's old. So we're going to make it look new again, even though it's a classic. That That's right. You, you go, Joe. <laughs> Yeah, that's, oh, all right, Joe, that's enough. That, Joe, stop. Joe, go on break. <laughs> go on break, Joe. <laughs> go on break. <laughs> go on break, Joe. It seems like after what happened with Arkham Knight, they, um, there's a whole podcast dedicated to that. It seems like they, Rocksteady has been, they've been really. Rocksteady is pulling a Kevin Conroy. <laughs> it's, it's like they haven't been shelling out the cl- like the quality that we expect from them. Would that be a fair assessment? Totally fair. But why do you think that is? Is because they all all they care about now is money, or do you think that they're trying to throw? They either don't care, or the publisher is putting pressure on them to get it out the door as fast as possible so they can make money because. Every day that it's not released and it's just sitting in an office being worked on, it's losing Warner Brothers money. Interesting. But they got all that Suicide Squad money, so they can they can sit around. I mean, now that they're coming out with the Batman Arkham VR game... Oh, which sounds incredible. Paul Dini talked to us about no, that. No, that was the Batman the Animated Series VR Well, that game. one sounds even better. The Batman Arkham ge- VR game. Can you explain what that is? Like, we're, ta- we're trying to as, get as, everyone up As to far speed. as I know... It's not a full-size game. It's just kind of like a small kind of experience that you can maybe be get through in two hours or so. But it's not going to be sold as a full game either. So I think if you buy it, it's only going to be like 20 or $30 or something like that. And it's only for PS4. It's only on PS4 because it takes advantage of the soon-to-be-released PlayStation 4 virtual reality headset. So if you have all of this technology, so like you need... At least eight hundred dollars worth of technology to play the game Ooh. in the first place. You can experience Batman's Bat Cave and some of the streets of Gotham in like a first person perspective where you're actually like controlling the motions of Bruce Wayne and you're like throwing the batarangs and you're getting to see some of the villains like up close and personal. It's not a fighting game though, it's more like a detective based game, right? There's, I'm like, almost certain ins- there are some detective elements. I don't think you'll be like fist fighting or thing, but maybe like right. you'd be like, "Oh, hey, the Riddler's over there. Let me just sit here and throw batarangs at him until he falls over." Okay, move on. I mean, maybe I could be totally wrong because I've never, I haven't got to see the full game yet. I've only heard a couple of people that are inside the industry talk about their really short demo experiences with it. Why is it only a two or three hour game though? Is that something where that, they're going to like... Russell Rocksteady says, they're like, it's not a full-fledged game. It's only going to be a small-scale experience. Players will be able to get through it like two or three hours. So do you think it'll be one of those games where every couple of months they're like, download this this, pa- this pack for this new story? They you could. Know I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know if they will, though. Hmm. But I, I don't... Like, I would pick up, like, the game... 
Like, now that you tell me it's only two or three hours, there's no point in me picking it up. Like, I could go to, like, Walmart and play it. I'm just going to go on YouTube and watch someone I think is funny play it. Yeah. Unless... Do you think that there's a potential if this is, like, that two or three hour thing is successful? Warner Brothers and Rocksteady would develop a fully fledged VR game, like, of Arkham? Or do you think that's just the money to do that would just be so crazy? Well, like, here's the problem. Uh, we don't know how well the VR headsets are going to be like accepted by the, the general audience. So you could be spending shit tons of money for something that only has like a small target audience that may not even be interested in it in the first place. Uh, so you think that this is just a test? It, it could be a test. Like If it sells millions or something, like maybe they'll do that. But I'm doubtful that that's going to happen, even though it is a Batman Arkham game that people are going to lose their minds over. I, I just don't think there's going to be enough people... To justify spending any more than they did for a full-fledged title. So it's not going to have, like, the Pokemon Go where everyone has to go and purchase it and download it. Not unless it. to do Batman Arkham VR on your phone. Oh. That'd be interesting. Pokemon just released the... Batman uh, Go. Batman Go. Speaking of which, did you see, uh, who is that on YouTube, uh, how it should have ended? Did they do the Bat Cafe stuff? No, I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, they do the thing where like Batman and Superman are at a cafe ha- having coffee or whatever. And one of the more recent episodes, they're just standing there together. Superman's talking about uh, Pokemon Go. And Batman's just like, I don't need that shit. I got my own game, Batman Go. <laughs> it's awesome. Him, like walking around Gotham City. And he's like, oh, looks like Two-Face is robbing a bank down the road. I go, I go get it. <laughs> he like runs on the road. He has his phone. He's like being up two faced on his phone. It's pretty funny. So if you want to like check that out on YouTube, it's, it should be on their channel somewhere. Unless uh, they swore and it's now getting restricted by YouTube because that's going on right now. Damn it, YouTube! YouTube has YouTube has changed their terms of agreement. They don't like controversial a, content. They've got four brand new, four or five brand new rules, and all four or five of those brand new rules are so ridiculously vague that they can pretty much North Korea <laughs> however they want to North Korea. Their, mm. website. their main goal is make sure their videos are advertiser-friendly. Yeah, advertiser-friendly is a whole new thing. Which means no swearing, Which no means, sexual content, yeah. no controversial subjects like suicide, and no drugs. No drugs, like no nothing. So I can't talk about MDMA, MDMA or street-level ecstasy. No. Um, no, in got, fact, you just got our video blocked on YouTube. Yeah, in fact, people that uh, like rape victims that talk about how they've gotten over well, not you know, you never get over, but that how they've gotten through with their life and how they've gotten past that event in their life, like really motivational stuff, has been flagged and taken down off YouTube now, like suicide Why? awareness stuff. Because YouTube. Because North Korea. <laughs> because YouTube. YouTube's made a lot of bad decisions in the past. So well, now there's that YouTube red that you have to pay like three ninety nine or what? Uh, it just no red tube. No <laughs> red YouTube tube. red. Oh, YouTube red. <laughs> red tube. Those are two different things, yeah. guys. Don't Google red tube. <laughs> Why not? Unless you're uh, by yourself <laughs> and no one is looking, <laughs> and you have private browser on. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, have private browser? I don't get that. <laughs> I like to live dangerously, I guess. 
living on the edge. <laughs> I think we've that, pretty much yeah, that's gonna be it talked about part of everything. Episode 73, we're going to jump right into the next portion of episode 73, where we talk to Justice League action writer John Callen. So, take a break, go grab a drink, go to the bathroom. You gotta hit pause first. Hit pause. Or, don't stop, because that's, that's not good. Don't. Don't stop. Just hit pause so you come back. Go heat up a pizza. Come go back. Go grab some Mickey D's. Get a drink. Make yourself a stiff drink. Go make some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But come back. Go watch some Red Tube. What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but keep our tab open and come back. Why not both at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Go play some Batman. Batman Go. go. Yeah. Yeah. You saw where that was coming. That's it for part one of episode 78 of Shanley on Batman. And now we are going to move on to our interview with John Callen. Where was your first interaction with the character of Batman? Was it the 66 TV show? Was it a comic book? Was it the 89 movie? Was it Batman the Animated Series? Where did you first come across Batman? God, that is, that is a really good question. I, I don't honestly know that it's even one that I've done a lot of thinking about. Um, I did watch the animated series. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it built um, my love of Batman and of the DC characters uh, to the point where, you know, I mean, I watched every one of the shows. Um, when Green Lantern came out, uh, I knew Jim Krieg, and, you know, I really would have loved to have write, written for Green Lantern then, but the opportunity never came around. Uh, but when Justice League got and by Alan Burnett. So I was doubly pleased because, you know, I loved the Green Lantern um, show, which Jim ran. And then, of course, I grew up on, on all the old Batman animated stuff. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's like, it's like if I really had to think about it, like, I imagine, like, my first experience with Batman in a comic might have been like Grant Morrison's really cool Justice League run where he goes up against all of um, you know there's Hyperion and all the other there's the superhero team that uh, turn out to be white Martians and you know one by one they take down the Justice League but there's this crashed burned out plane uh, with Batman uh, and they're just like well leave it He's just a man. Like, what could he do? And then Batman comes back and takes down every single one of those guys because he's figured out their weakness. Yeah. You know, he's figured out that it's fire. Uh, and he literally leaves one of them, like, in the lobby with a sign around his neck that says, I know your, weak your weakness. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know. I definitely watched the 66 Batman. I watched this the longest answer ever. Um, and <laughs> so I, good. Uh, I love the 66 movie, and to this day, I think that um, that that show does not get enough credit for doing something really smart. Because as a children's animation writer, you know, you look at the Pixar films, you look at everything that a good, you know, the old Warner Brothers cartoons, you'll get everything that a good kids program should be. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing that, that operates on two levels. You know, the thing where, you know, I watched Animaniacs growing up. And if you just watched Animaniacs, you were like, oh, that's just 
crazy and then you grew up and you're like oh Dominelli you know like you suddenly that joke works on a totally different level you know um and so I I think Batman 66 was so brilliant because if you are eight years old you take it 110% seriously. He is the greatest crime fighter who ever lived. Definitely. But if you but if you are an adult, you're like, "Oh, I get it. It's it's a farce. It's funny." Uh, so that's that's my extremely long-winded answer. Well, what's great about Batman 66 is it kind of it's stayed around. It's been in the zeitgeist with everyone. Like every guest we've ever talked to, it's like, "Yeah, it's not the greatest Batman anything, but what it did for the time is it got uh, everyone aware of the character of Batman where yeah. Batman was coming off of the 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 Congress what happened in Congress how you know the seduction of the innocent well it kind of turned that around and kind of like got it was kind of a pop culture megastar for just two or three seasons now seasons back in the back in the those Hollywood days were what, like 30 or 40 episodes right. now it's only like 19 to 22 which so it's there's that healthy, that healthy pop culture understanding. At some point, he was the biggest thing on television, and now those people that watch that show when they're kid, they can show it to their kids and their grandkids, and it's it reminds them of that nostalgic feeling that they had when they were a child, and they're able to show that to them as well. And we've seen that through like a handful of our guests, not just a couple here and there. Like all of them, always go back and. They always talk about, and I kind of would say pay their respects to that 66 TV show. Like, even though they're like, yeah, it's campy, and yeah, it, it's got, it's it's dated, It it's still great, and it's still an amazing backbone to a lot of stuff we still see and get today. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, how dated it is, I think, depends a lot on what your perspective is. You know, my... My favorite TV show of all time is the original series Star Trek. Eh, maybe it's between that and Buffy. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, but like 66 Trek, or, or 60s Trek and 66 Batman have something very much in common, which is that they are right at the, um, the, the forefront of color television. Uh, and th there's so much about that show that just is brilliantly constructed from the point of view of just being great TV, being pop TV, being TV that you can't help but want to watch. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, people make the mistake of thinking that television is the synthesis of, or television is best film. And up until recently, that would not have been the case. I think now you could make an argument for it. But until the last five years, 10 years, tops, television was the synthesis of radio and theater. Mm -hmm. And there's a thing that you're allowed to do in plays that people don't think you're allowed to do in television, which is, you know, if you go to see How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, they, they put a desk here and an elevator here, and it doesn't look anything like an office, but it's got the signifiers of an office, and you're just supposed to, in your head, go, that's an office. Yeah. And what I think is so brilliant about 66 Batman and original series Star Trek is that they are not afraid to have sets that look nothing like the real world. 
that, that look in, in some ways better than the real world, more fun, you know, yeah. rocks that are painted bright purple. And it yeah. looks like nothing that you'd ever realistically expect to be in the world. But it's it, it's it's an imagination landscape that is, is so fun to like just look at. Very, very yeah, you guys are celebrating your 50th Star Trek anniversary today, today. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, uh, my girlfriend and I might might celebrate after by uh, by picking something from the original series and watching it. Nice, nice. Awesome. always good. So, but I think I think also the thing about 60s Batman uh, is is it is so indicative of the thing that is amazing about the character, which is. Uh, I, I think that, you know, this is true to some extent of some of the other icons. It's true of Superman. It's like maybe true of Spider-Man. Um, but it's so true of Batman, which is like, no matter the time period, no matter the context, he just works. Like the story just works. 1966 Batman is a fully deputized officer of the Gotham law yeah. department. And, uh, Frank Miller's Batman is a total psychopath. And yet it's still the same story. It's the story of a kid who had the worst day ever that no one could ever prepare for, prepare for. And he decides to spend the rest of his life preparing to make sure that that happens not to no one, but to as few people as he can make it happen to for the rest of his life. And that's just a compelling narrative, whether it's, silly and farcical and adventurous or whether it's serious and psychological and dark so we we talked about the 66 series and we uh, we kind of brushed on the frank miller kyle and i f finally were able to catch uh the tim burton batman film on the big screen like it was something on a bucket list like i have a bucket list like this needs to happen i was finally able to cross see the batman 89 on the big screen and kyle was there what Seeing that for the first time for you as a, a fan of the character of Batman, it kind of takes it back to the dark roots of 1939. What was that like for you? You know, I, the Tim Burton Batman has never appealed to me that much. Um, I don't think it's a particularly well-made movie. I probably prefer Batman Returns. Um, what it is is a movie that has a ton of emotional resonance and that that i think is the reason that it, it affected so many kids not me i don't even remember really if i saw it when i was a kid um but but you can see how it's so warping to a child's like brain that you know the scenes don't necessarily make sense and the structure isn't necessarily what i would do it's not necessarily the um, the version of the character that I like, but it's a fairy tale. The music is there. The emotion is there. The things that Batman should make you feel just seem to be dripping and oozing off the screen. Uh, and in fact, I think that the animated series sometimes took on some of those overtones, but like for the most part, I think a lot of people kind of ignore the idea of, of Batman as kind of fairy tale, as something that has a little bit of whimsy to it. So you talked, to, you said that Batman Returns, you prefer Batman Returns to the 89. What was it about Batman Returns that you pref that you enjoyed more about than the 89? Because 
we're used to having it the other way around where Batman 89 is like the cream of the crop for those four movies, those early those four early installments. What was it about Returns that really was it the the penguin character or was it that they were kind of like sort of delving a little bit further into the character of Batman the Orson Welles kind of feel to it with it? I mean, I'm I'm the biggest Orson Welles fan. Um, so that definitely is there. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, nothing is sort of, you know, it's, it's not like I think their Penguin's amazing. Their Catwoman gets a little closer, but neither of those, I think, are really pure versions of the characters in any sense. They're very, like, Tim Burton, like, funhouse mirror versions of the characters. Um, and I know that a lot of people who were alive at the time felt that there was something really special captured by 89 that, and then Batman Returns became a kind of farce. But if you actually go back with fresh eyes, I think there's a lot more to Returns. And I mean, first of all, I mean more in terms of just like, there's more blowing up and there's craziness and there's colorful characters. And I think 89 by comparison is, is actually a little dull. But I think that there's also just like a real like emotionality to everybody's story that like kind of makes more sense um, to me anyway. Uh, but I don't know. It's been so long since I've watched either of them. Like those are not my, like I know the, the 66 Batman movie by heart. I could like speak every line of Mask of the Phantasm while it was being played. Yeah. But like I tend not to go back to those. Actually, you know what? Weirdly, I go back to Batman Forever. That's the one that I tend to, to rewatch because it's just fun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's true. not good, but it's fun. Going back to your childhood, was comic books and superheroes always a thing that was encouraged in your house with you growing up? Or was it kind of a in the closet, don't want people to know I'm the comic book reader, that kind of thing? Well, nothing about me is ever in the closet. I, I, I unfortunately wore my um, my my geekiness and my outsiderdom on my sleeve. Awesome. Um, I was one of those kids who was, you know, at six years old already, like a like a geek punk rocker, and <laughs> that you know, I was like, huh, I already read that. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. Did you guys read? Did you read Paul's um, uh, Batman Dark Knight? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We. Yep. Yeah, the, the only part that I was like, oh man, I can totally see how Paul was that, but I was not, was the part where he talked about being an invisible kid. Yeah. Because I was, I, I was all of those things that were, uh, that, that gave you the same sort of like element of outsiderdom, but I was like far from invisible. I was, you know, uh, sometimes angry and sometimes loud. Uh, often mostly just loud. Um, <laughs> but but I knew everything I was right from the start. Like I knew, you know, there there's there were two things I wanted to be when I was growing up. I wanted to be uh, an astronaut uh, and I wanted to be a comic book writer. And my dad told me that I couldn't be an astronaut because I was too tall and my eyesight was bad. And he told me that I couldn't write comic books because the artists made up the stories. So I had to learn to draw. Um, and he was wrong. Uh, but, you know, that's the kind of thing you get from your parents. Yeah. 
The, uh, I'm, I'm curious, did you guys, have you guys rewatched Batman Forever in a while? Yes, we, we, for us, like if, if in the context of like those four movies, that one probably works the best as a Bruce Wayne Batman story than all of them. Like even the 89, like 80, like we talked in like how 89 is kind of like, like the most memorable, but as a, like a co coherent, this is a story about Bruce and Batman. It's, it's the best of that. Like I, we love the Riddler. We think that Jim Carrey's Riddler is so underrated. I think the whole movie is so underrated because it's unfairly lumped in with Batman and Robin. I mean, I completely agree. I think that um, he's doing a very different thing than Burton's doing. Yeah. Like in some ways, and I think it gets a lot of a, a lot of crap from people because he's very clearly, you know in some ways the response to studio pressure on Burton that was like more toys, more friendly for kids, bigger, more colorful. But it's clear to me that like Schumacher's experience with the character is, is with the 60s Batman series. Mm -hmm. And that it's like, it's like, a there are things that are perfect versions of the 60s Batman series. Like for instance, um, the psychiatrist, um, like literally they're, they're doing the most straight ahead laughable dialogue and Kilmer is just embracing it where she is just like a psychiatrist that basically wants to straight up like fuck Batman. Yep. And <laughs> yep. Like it's, it's, it's absurd. Like she turns on the bat signal in like a negligee <laughs> and, and. And there's no other, there's not even, like, an excuse of just, like, oh, well, I wanted to talk to you about the case. Like, it's just straight up, like, I want to fuck you. <laughs> yes. And then there's there's this amazing moment where she's, like, giving him a little bit of shit. And she's like, well, you know, maybe not as crazy as someone who dresses up as a rodent every night. And just with full seriousness, Batman looks at her and is like, bats aren't rodents, doctor. Because <laughs> that's the thing we all know about Batman, right? Is that he super cares about bats. Like yeah, that's the point. Definitely, he needs you to know what bats are. <laughs> but with the Batman Forever stuff, like, like we we've all talked about it before. It's unfairly lumped in. Like, if you go to like Best Buy or Walmart or any of those kind of big box stores. And you see, like, the Batman movies next to each other. It's Batman, Batman Returns, then the Dark Knight trilogy. You never see Batman Forever and Batman That's and Robin true. ever anywhere. They're usually, like, somewhere, like, hidden away. It's like Warner Brothers. It's, they put that in that four disc and put it at the end of the aisle. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's not anything. But we've always argued that Joel Schumacher was the closest to the actual character of Bruce and what he he's dealing with. And there's some really strong stuff in it. Like when he, when he is having those memories of his parents' murders, like the, and it wasn't like the Joker killing his parents. Like for us, that's just like somebody picked up a comic. Like somebody read a comic. They they love the character. Two Face really didn't doesn't work for me on that level. Like I feel like t the Two Face character is a lot, as much more cerebral than what we got. Like. Tommy Lee Jones is really over the top, but I really thought that Jim Carrey found this this wavelength, this like it's almost like he was channeling Frank Gorshin, but doing his own like Jim Carrey kind of a thing with 
the Riddler, and it works in that movie. I don't think it would work in, like, a Nolan movie, but it definitely could work in those movies for sure. I mean, I think you're 100% right. I mean, I think I think that in some ways there there were bad choices made with Tommy Lee Jones. Like, the, the funny thing is Tommy Lee Jones would be a perfect Two-Face. Uh, but he's doing this sort of, like, capering, goofy thing that, you know, is clearly sort of, you know, also influenced by 66. Whereas, like, you can imagine the movie where Jim Carrey is all over the place and Tommy Lee Jones is turning in a stony, angry, dark Two-Face. Yeah. And it would be baller. Like, yeah. it would be so great. And there's a lot that they get right. Like, I've never seen a scene in the comics or the TV shows like the scene of Two-Face in Bruce's mansion just flipping the coin, waiting for it to give him permission to shoot Bruce. And <laughs> that's genuinely funny and dark. Definitely. I want to go back a little bit to where you finally broke through as like an artist and doing animation and writing. What, what, where was the point in your life? Was it, was it high school? Was it, was it earlier when you, you sat down and you thought to yourself, this is what I'm doing. No one's going to stop me. Done. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing was, um, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to be a writer. Um, I do remember lots of times when my recommitment to writing doubled. Um, you know, I, I was a big science fiction nerd. Um, and I remember I was watching, uh, Babylon five when it was re-airing on the sci-fi channel. And I found these internet archives that were just collections of J. Michael Straczynski talking on Usenet about all the, the decisions he made while making the show. And he talked a lot, you know, like JMS wrote like every episode of that show, um, with the exception of like the first two seasons. Those operated more like a normal show. After that, it was more like The West Wing or something where, you know, JMS did like every script. And so he talked a lot about the writing process. And I remember reading them and going like, all right, like, so I can do this. Like, I get, I get what this is about. Uh, when I was in high school, there was a playwriting competition that I entered mm -hmm. and I ended up winning. And it, it's kind of a funny story because it was like, it was supposed to be theater of testimony which is this idea that you go around and you pick a subject and then you take interviews from a lot of people and you arrange the interviews to be uh, a story. And okay. I just had no interest in doing that because I was like, I'm a writer, like I make up a story. So I just didn't follow the assignment and I wrote what I felt like and I still like was one of the winners anyway. <laughs> uh, and they were really like, kind of like, yeah, like, we weren't happy about what you did, but, like, you're definitely good, so, like, we're gonna... And they, they produced the the plays of, like, four kids from four... I think five kids from four different districts. So there were two from my district, and then there were three other kids. Um, and they brought in actors from New York and everything, and it was just a wow. really wonderful experience. It was this uh, theater house called um, McCarter Theater in Princeton. Um... And I just, I really remember being like, okay, so I can do this. And I really like this feeling. Like, I like the feeling of knowing that people are engaging. You know, I mean, it's an act of pure ego to be a writer. Um, and I think to be a good writer is to curb that ego where it serves you. Is to, to know how to take notes, to know how to take feedback, uh, 
but it really is like an act of, of narcissism to sit down in the first place and be like, the things that I think about things should matter enough to people that they want to sit and listen to, to my story. Um, but, but that being said, it's like, it's like a high, like nothing else, you know, knowing that they did and that they liked it is, um, it's just, just a great feeling. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do that. Uh, and then I went to, um, Ithaca, New York. I went to, to school at a school called Ithaca College. And um, I tried to do television and playwriting. Um, I was an English major, but I figured, great, they've got an amazing TV department. They've got an incredible theater department. I can do those things, and people will make TV shows that I write, and they'll make plays that I write. Uh, Right? Like the TV department, the TV kids wanted to make their own stuff and the theater kids wanted to put on what they wanted to put on, um, which is fine. Like, I, I do understand that. Uh, but what I did do while I was there is my friends and I met a, like an old hippie dude, like super cool guy. His name was Warren Greenwood. And he worked, you know, on the Fantastic Four show for Jack Kirby. And he oh, wow. worked, you know, on He-Man as a writer and an artist. And when the bottom fell out of the animation market, he moved back to Ithaca. And so we would take him out to lunch like once every two weeks. And he would just tell us stories about what it was like to be a creative in Hollywood. That's interesting. And w when I moved out, he wrote three recommendation letters. One was to Joe Johnston, the director of Gremlins. Yeah, awesome. One was to um, his production company, Joe Johnston's production company. And one was to Greg Johnson, who was the story editor on Wolverine and the X-Men. Awesome. Uh, neither, neither the first two responded. Uh, Greg Johnson responded. And I'm pretty sure he didn't read the spec script I sent him. Uh, maybe he looked at it for formatting to know I wasn't a crazy person. <laughs> and, like, this never happens. But he was just like, yeah. Come on down. Like, like write an episode. So wow. I have across the country and then season two of Wolverine and the X-Men never happened Ooh. but what I was able to do is for a year I was able to go to parties and introduce myself as an animation writer mm -hmm. and in doing that I met lots of other animation writers and so it took me like two years to get my next job but what I did during those two years is I just followed around animation writers until somebody gave me a job and then my first job was Generator Rex and from there I moved on to Ben 10 Omniverse, yeah. which was run by Charlotte Fullerton and Matt Wayne, who was the the widow, um, well, at that time, wife and best friend of Dwayne McDuffie. And I had, you know, a ton of affection for Dwayne's work. And I think Charlotte really liked me and wanted to hire me, but she wanted to make sure that I didn't suck. So she got Rob to hire me first and then once Rob said that I was fine, she immediately hired me on Ben 10. Oh, man, where did I go from there? Um, <laughs> what would you say are like some examples of other people's works that really inspired you maybe in your early days to, like, how, how, what works kind of were responsible for maybe forming the animation side that you have? Like, is, it, like, is there any particular people that inspired you? to animate the way you do? 
or like particular oh, well, TV shows? I mean, first I should say I'm a writer, not an, an animator. I'm not a board artist. Yeah, yeah. I don't draw. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just spoke there. I apologize script. for that. Thanks, right, Kyle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't speak all the time. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in terms of writing, um, the original Twilight Zone yeah. was a big thing for me. It's one of the reasons I ended up going to school where I went to school, because Ithaca had the Rod Serling archives. Um, Buffy was huge for me. Buffy was something that happened at a time in my life when I needed something to connect to emotionally as a teenager. And here was some, someone telling all these stories that were was everything I loved in terms of genre and superhero fiction. But at the same time, the monster was always a metaphor for um, for uh, the, the emotional problem, the, the very human thing. And so I would say, honestly, like, like when you talk about like what inspires me to be a good animation writer, it's like I grew up watching Batman and I love Dwayne's work on Justice League. Uh, and his work on Ben 10 Alien Force and Ben 10 Ultimate Alien. Um, you know, I love the Max Fleischer Superman stuff. I love the 60s Johnny Quest. But the truth is, I honestly don't think I'm a good animation writer in some ways. I think I'm a, a good TV writer and a decent animation writer. I think that thinking visually comes hard to me, but thinking in terms of character conflict and emotion comes easy. So I kind of figure out the story that I would want to see, and then I just add lots of fighting to it. <laughs> do you find um, your... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you find yourself being more drawn to writing the... Like the... Like the super clever, like really... Just like deep stuff, as opposed to the, the heavy action stuff, or vice versa? Well, I mean, I'm definitely drawn to write. Um, I don't, I don't want to write clever, because clever sort of implies like too smart by half. Um, although that's definitely like a criticism. I think some people could make of my work. Um, what I'm drawn to is is the stuff that hurts. Um, but, like, I'd like to think that when all's said and done, I'm, I'm no slouch on the action stuff. Like, I definitely add yeah. that. But, like, I tend to think of it like, weirdly, I think, like, writing for action is like writing a musical. You know, it's like when you're doing a really good musical, it's like you have the, the script and the story and the character beats and dialogue. And then at a certain point, the conflict can't be carried any further and a character has to sing to deal with what's going on inside or outside. And I think superhero shows are like that. I just think instead of like a song and dance number, it's a fight. Hmm. So when you're when you're sitting down and writing, how long do you would you say that you are putting into writing uh, a, like an episodic script? Like for like, would you say you're putting in a full week's work? Or do you have a come to come to an idea and like you're t you're typing or are you putting pen to paper like what's the, what's the writing process like that for you on that? God, too long, <laughs> way too long, and I only have gotten slower. 
I'd like to think I've gotten better, but I've gotten way slower the longer I've been a professional writer. Uh, so generally speaking, um, you know, on most shows, they'll call you in and they have a sort of springboard of an idea. And then you sit in the writer's room and you beat it out in animation that literally happens in like three, four hours in live action that literally takes like a week or two. Yeah. So animation writers get very good at, you know, as, as slow as I think I am, we're, we're relatively speaking very fast at being able to hook into something and find a story there. Um, and generally speaking, it's, it's like getting hit by a bus. It's like you go home with the story beats and you're thinking like, oh, we broke a story. Like, this is great. And then you wake up the next morning and you're looking at them and you're like, I don't know why this story matters. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. So then you stare at it and you panic and then you figure out your emotional hook into it. And then you write an outline and that generally takes about seven to 10 days. And then you send in your outline and then it takes them way too long to read it and get back to you with notes. Uh, and then, you know, three, four weeks later, or sometimes just a week later or a couple of days later, depending on how um, busy or, or packed or behind schedule the show is, they'll call you up and they'll be like, okay, so they'll either ask you for a rewrite on the outline or more often they'll just be like, listen, these are the notes, carry them forward into the script. Um, and then you have generally between a week to two weeks to do the script. Uh, and I need every second of it. Uh, and I'm not going to say that I don't procrastinate, uh, but I'm, you know, I, I, this is, this is dead air. This is worthless. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, of any way to explain it, but you know, it's, Generally speaking, I have to go over a thing, you know, like, like I literally, this is terrible. Like I'm giving away all my dark secrets. I literally, when I get stuck, I just open a new final draft document and rewrite everything. Like I'll just print what I have and I'll put it next to me and I generally won't even look at it. And I'll just rewrite from the beginning as though I'm writing the script for the first time. And in doing that, it's like a rewrite process. But I'll generally do that about three times in the course of a script. And I'll just start over each time and sort of whittle things down and get to the important details and get to the emotional beats and the jokes get better. And then generally speaking, the last third of my script is the least worked on. And I fix that in draft <laughs> So you talked about like getting a hook. Who is there like a producer? Like I want, I, I have an idea for this, or is it a, a bunch of you guys in the writers' room? Like I, I have a crazy idea for this, where Batman fights Martian Manhunter, and then they become best friends, kind of a thing. That's a horrible idea, but like where, where does the who's coming up with like the hook? Is it like a producer, or is there just like ideas th flowing through the writers' room? Well, in the case of Justice League Action, we were given a ton of freedom. And by the way, um, like, like to give you an idea of how slow I can be sometimes, Justice League Action is two 11 minutes an episode, and it, generally speaking, took me as long to write one of those as it would take me to write a full 22-minute script, um, which is kind of the misnomer about writing an 11-minute, is, you know, they'll pay you half as much money 
but it's not half as much work because it's right. still a full story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just half as many pages. Yeah. But all that means is you need to be tighter and more disciplined about everything that happens. Um, the, the, the story question is an interesting one. Like, we were very lucky on Justice League Action. Alan and Jim had a lot of faith in us, and so we could come in and just pitch our ideas. And I've heard that Alan can be tough to get ideas through, but, like, literally the first time I came in, I think I, I had six ideas, and I think I walked out with two no's, three maybe's, and a yes. Hmm. Um, and, and I think part of that is just that I find high concept very easy. You know, growing up, I was, I'm not a film guy. Like, Alan is a film buff. Uh, Jim is sort of a little more in the middle. Uh, I was raised on television. And so to me, the high concept of the premise is the most important thing. It's like, I think of every episode of Buffy, and I can just pitch it to you, right? Even the bad ones, I can be like, Xander falls in with a bad crowd <laughs> that, you know, turn out to be hyena people. And, and he, um, you know, ends up taking on their characteristics and becoming meaner and more feral until he's literally a hyena person. And it's like, in pitching that to you, you get what's cool about the episode, you see action scenes, and you get what the emotional dynamic of it is. And it's like it's like telling a joke. It's like it's like I think about about it as a couple things, right? Like I think about it as sketch comedy, because it's like, you know, it's like a really good SNL sketch. Mm-hmm. You can just pitch to someone the next morning, and it's basically the same as if they saw it. Uh, I think about it like old Twilight Zone episodes, uh, and I think about it like jokes, because the thing about like an old Twilight Zone episode is literally I can tell you any of them in 30 seconds. And it's basically the same as having watched it. It's just three primal ingredients, right? It's like character wants something, uh, an impediment to getting it, character gets what he wants, but like probably not in the way he expected, right? And embedded in that is the idea that makes any story function, which is irony, right? Which is like, how do I get what I want, but it's not what I want. How do I go after what I want, but something prevents me from getting it? It's like almost always the start of a story is uh, the worst character to be in a certain situation or the best character to be in a certain situation, but it turns out to be the worst thing for him. I wish I wish I could give you guys examples, but all the examples right now that are occurring to me are Justice League. And we might end up using them sometime. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, but like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you think about like, there's the old standbys in a writer's room, mm-hmm. or I think it's, I think it's the defiant ones is the movie where like, you know, one character ends up losing his eyesight and the other ends up like losing the use of his arms. So it's like, to get out of the bad situation together, it's like, I have to be your eyes and you have to be my hands. And it's like, it's that every time, right? It's like, what's the worst situation? How do you feel about this person or this thing or this circumstance? You know, it's like Mask of the Phantasm is based on the idea of giving Batman, who's never supposed to fall in love, like, what's the story of the one time that he fell in love? You know? Yeah. Uh, And that's, that's always the heart of it. You know, it's just like what what brings up the feels. Like, and and really, 
the only difference between a joke and a dramatic story is just how you tell it, right? And of course, Justice League action, we're right in the middle. Like, they're almost always concepts so silly that they're jokes. But like, uh, like if I told you, you know, the, the Twilight Zone episode where I was like, um, you know, dude is like, a, like an in, introvert and a reader and he hates people and all he wants to do is read. And then one day on his lunch break, he goes into the bank vault with a big stack of books and he walks out and there was a nuclear war and he's so happy because all he wants to do is just sit with a big stack of books and read now. And then his glasses break. It's like, that's almost a joke. It's just telling it in a dramatic fashion that makes it a tragedy. We, you brought up justice league action and we want to talk about that. And our fans want to hear about that. <laughs> how did you get how did you get into that what what was the where was the point where they said hey guess what you're gonna write for justice league action well it had a lot to do with jim creek who's like a mentor of mine um and you know like I, i've been writing for about seven years mm -hmm. and for about four of those years i have desperately wanted Jim to like, like me, but like, I think he wisely knew that I was growing as a writer. Um, and then one, at one point out of the blue, he called me up and he, he was just like, Hey, do you have a spec? And it's like, Jim never reads specs. Right. Mm -hmm. So like right away I knew there was something up. Uh, and I had written a doctor who, Oh, awesome. Uh, and the, the premise of the doctor who was, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a team up episode with Orson Welles, and it takes place on the night of the War of the Worlds broadcast. Yes. Uh, and uh, and so he read it, and you know he liked it. Um, he didn't think it was perfect. You know, he said um, he said the problem with writing a spec for Doctor Who, and he was right, uh, is when you write for an amazing show all people see is the ways in which you were not brilliant. But if, you know, he had a mentor once who wrote a, a Green Acre spec. And it's like, if you write even just a serviceable acres, people are like, oh my God, he's a genius. <laughs> uh, but, you know, for, for reasons that are beyond me, uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, I think I would like to mentor you. And I said, great. Uh, and so I worked for him on this Netflix series, The Endless, uh, and right about the same time, he was hired on Justice League Action. Uh, and then I met Alan, um, and, you know, it wasn't a done deal by any means, but, you know, I got the chance to go in and pitch, and I think they liked my style. Like, I think that one of the things that's really great about our show is as much as right now we're pitching it and we're saying, oh, it's a comedy, everybody brought something different to it. You know, um, so my friend Jeremy, who wrote on the show, is incredibly good with action. Uh, my friend Tim, who wrote on the show, is incredible with comedy. Um, and I think what I was always looking for was the emotional hook. So, like, we have a, a Batman Booster Gold episode coming up. Um, and, and Dietrich Bader talked about it at Comic-Con. And I can honestly say, I think it's one of the saddest, sweetest, most painful things I've ever written, and it takes place entirely in 11 minutes. 
And it has to do with the fact that, you know, Booster desperately wants Batman's approval as a hero. You know, he really wants Batman's validation because he's like a little kid. Uh, and Batman, in some ways, I think, as much as he's the most mature and the best of all the heroes, probably doesn't grasp the power he has to somebody like Booster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're put in a situation where that is there's a spotlight put on that, and Batman is forced to consider the idea that like maybe Booster's actually a really good hero. But because it's, you know, me, it's going to be, you know, sad. (laughs) Like, things are not going to work out Booster's way. Let me just put it that way. Aww. You just just destroyed Justin. (laughs) 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 Oh, he's such a great character. The way Diedrich plays him, like, he's just... It's like like Diedrich sits and drinks five teas at lunch before he comes in. (laughs) He's just, like, vibrant. Like, he's bouncing off the walls. How like literally, we would just have him improv. There's at least two lines of booster dialogue every episode that are improvs. That's awesome. We've been trying to get Diedrich on the show for a minute. We're kind of in limbo with his agents. But he's we're, mm. we're big fans of his work. We really want to talk to him. Batman Brave and the Bold is awesome. Yeah, Brave and the Bold, the whole, that whole run, like, Diedrich's amazing. It, it was one of my favorite shows yeah. while I was on here. There's a there's a great story about Diedrich, which is like I Tell had <laughs> I had without um I had without thinking written G's into a script. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize it, but like G's is short for Jesus. So there's all <laughs> these like religious issues. Yeah. So Diedrich looks up and he goes, Are you guys allowed to say G's? And we all look at each other and we're like, Yeah, we we, we think we're allowed to say G's. What why, Diedrich? And he goes, we did like nine seasons of the Drew Carey show and we were never allowed to say jeez. Like we were allowed to say butt weasel. We take like a beat and we go, well, you know, just say butt weasel then. <laughs> That's awesome. Was it ever daunting knowing that you were going to be working some of these incredibly prestigious characters and working with some of these other people in the industry on a property like Justice League? The people were daunting, the characters were not. Because, you know, I'm an egotist and I feel like I've been preparing for it my life. Like, literally, I'm such an insane person that in the back of my head, I was the kind of person who was reading X-Men runs, being like, one day I'm going to have to know this for work. You know? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, working with Alan Burnett, was daunting. Uh, like I saved like the f- first like five voicemails he left on my phone <laughs> because I was just like it's a voicemail from Alan Burnett. Yeah. Uh, and of course that's the fast like Alan's such a down to earth like sweet normal guy, while still being you know incredibly smart and incisive. The fast way to just make it weird is to be like oh my god like your work is so important to me. Um, so you have to play, uh, and Alan is so funny because literally this is what will happen. You'll be in a room and there will be a 20 minute argument where you'll be like, no, it's Catwoman. No, it's Poison Ivy. No, it's Catwoman. It's Poison Ivy. And you'll go back and forth for 20 minutes. And then right as the meeting's about to be up, Alan will go, what if it's Batgirl? Yeah. (laughs) So then we go, oh, it should it should be Batgirl. You're right, you're right. 
like he's he is just a genius at keeping his mouth shut until he has the smartest thing in the room to say. Wow. So I know this isn't like a Batman thing, but I really I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, but I'm really a huge Orson like I've like probably have, like you probably can't but I have like maybe ten books on Orson Welles. And as soon as you said that you wrote a spec script including Doctor Who and the Night of the, the world of world stuff I was like can I please read that I really like, I'm, I'm such a huge Orson Welles you know, you're, you're actually welcome to read it I just put it up on my blog awesome oh, yes. where is your blog where, where, where do you find that it's called uh, www.what-exit.com awesome um, and and part of the notion I'm sort of in the process of uh, it. Like, I thought it was just going to be a kind of, like, repository for, like, thoughts and opinions. But I found that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm never going to write about, like, politics or, like, important stuff on it. But, like, I found that the thing that people really responded to and the thing that I had to give, because I think really blogs are about, like, offering a skill set and a knowledge base, um, is, is actually just, like, a how-to blog for writing animation. So that's sort of the focus of it. So if any of your listeners want to know more about how to write animation or what it's like to be an animation writer, that's what a lot of the, the posts are going to be about now. Awesome. That's great. So let's jump right back into Justice League. I had to ask. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's fine. The Doctor uh, Who oh, cannot be. By the way, if you want a really great Orson Welles thing, there's a book that he did, that, well, that Peter Bogdanovich did. Me and Orson Welles? What's that? Is it me and Orson Welles or something like that, with, where it's him interviewing him? Yeah, it's yeah. literally just him interviewing Orson Welles. Yeah. But all of the MP3s are available online. So you can just listen to like eight hours of Orson talking. And it's literally just like they talk about comics at one point. And he's literally, you know, he's like, he's talking about like Terry and the Pirates. Like it's surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's just like, yes, I loved Terry. <laughs> it really lost me in the later years. You just killed that Orson Welles. <laughs> that was, that's awesome. I have the books, and I didn't even know there there was like an MP3 of them. I'm gonna have to find it when I get home. Um, so back to Justice League action. Now, when you're in the when you're writing, did you ever imagine you'd be writing for Kevin Conroy's Batman and Mark Hamill's Joker? Because it's like when I saw when I went to like imbd.com, they're they're doing Justice League. I was like, eh. But as soon as they said Kevin Conroy's Batman and Mark Hamill's the Joker, I was like, yes, my childhood is back again. I'm try I'm trying to think. Did I? Like I I I don't think so because I I guess I believed it when I was like they're they're done. You know, like they're retired. Like. Oh man! And we lost him, like totally. We totally lost John here. There was no way to clean out of it, so we'll pick back up here. We're good whenever you are, man. Yeah. So I, I was uh, the the question was, um, did I ever expect to write Conroy and Hamill as Batman and Joker? And I guess. It was always in the back of my mind that it would be a possibility, 
you know, that if I, I played my cards right and got to the right place in animation, that maybe I would be able to do a DVD or something. Yeah. Uh, but I really never expected those two to be back on a show together. And it's so wonderful. Like, it's just such great fun. And, and do you guys know who our, who our Riddler is? No, no I don't, think, I don't so. think so. This is announced, so I can say it. It's, it's Brent Spiner. Oh, that's really? awesome. Yeah, and we were talking about the Riddler earlier, and it's like, with the exception of Gorshin, who I've always thought is, is turning in just an incredible performance, but I think it's one that's very different from the comics, Brent Spiner is the best Riddler I've ever seen. Hmm. Like, it must be like having watched Hamill as the Joker like the first time where you're just like, oh my God, like that's it. That's the Joker of my generation. Now, are you in the, are you in the recording booth with them or is it like, okay, I write my script that's off and the, and it's, that's a whole separate kind of like beast when that, with that, with the recording. When I am very, very lucky. I think I got to sit in on at least one record for all three of the episodes that I wrote. Awesome. Did your inner child just like have a mental breakdown and just not I think, give? I, I think my adult child. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, um, I think Brent Spiner uh, wanted to hide. Uh, I, I think I actually did a good job with Spiner because I, um, I deliberately, um, I deliberately picked something like I was like, I'm not, going to be like oh my god i love to use data because i'm sure he gets that all the time yeah so i waited for my moment and i was just like you were awesome as john adams in the revival of 1776 <laughs> yeah he was like oh thank you you know and i i really thought that i i got it by giving him the 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 more obscure one so you we talk about the recording now do they do it like the old uh, Batman the will they actually have everyone in the recording booth recording or is it more like the Pixar way where they just have one person in at a time they record their dialogue see you later whenever possible um, the uh, the I mean we have James Woods as Lex Luthor yes. so it's not you know it's not unfathomable to assume that sometimes schedule gets in the way um, but like I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say because, you know, Diedrich already talked about this episode. But, like, you know, this Batman booster episode, there are very, very few other characters. It is mostly just Batman and Booster dealing with something together. And so it, it was basically a radio play. It was just the two of them. And, you know, for me, it was like watching two of my favorite Batman in the booth together. Yeah. Just... Just for three hours, it was such great fun. That's incredible. Do you do you feel like this is going to be considered and looked back at as this generation's Batman the Animated Series? I mean, no, because nothing is BTAS. Fair, right? I, I, like I rank the three greatest animated, like I said, like Fleischer Superman, yeah. Junk Quest, and and Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Um, I I think that we can be this generation's Justice League. Okay. I think I think I loved what Dwayne was doing, and and we're obviously different, but I think that there's as much heart 
and as much commitment to craft and as much just like unbelievable casting and incredible animation and action. And I just, I really think that people don't even know yet. I think that trailer gives the slightest of senses of just how special this show is going to be. Like I'll, I'll say this. I have never had a show that I was more proud to work on. What's your, who's your favorite character to write for there? Who's your, who's your, all right, let's put it this way. Who's your favorite hero and who's your favorite villain to write for? Is there any that stand out and you're like, that's my bread and butter? I think that every time you ask a writer that question, it's probably going to be different. And it's also, it's always going to be like the guy I'm currently writing, <laughs> uh, which is such like a lame cop out answer. I can tell you, and this is like a bit of an insight into my psychological problems, but I was at a convention in Orlando and somebody asked me this exact question at a spotlight thing that I was at. And then an hour later, I was on uh, like a villains panel. Like we were specifically talking about, you know, what it's like to write villains. And I got asked the same question. And my answer the first time was the Riddler. And my answer the second time was Lex Luthor. Okay. And it was only like a day later that I realized that those are two characters whose like superpower and kryptonite is ego. Yeah. And I was, and I was like, I don't know what that says about me, but, but I am so endlessly fascinated by, you know, like Luthor in particular as just a character who's like, I mean, just indisputably a great man. Like, indisputably, in another time, you know, if, if Lex Luthor had been elected president instead of Abraham Lincoln, he, he probably would have ended the Civil War. You know, he'd be, he'd be considered one of the greatest presidents who ever lived, at least if we take Luthor at his word. But I think he's probably right, right? Like, I think it's the appearance of someone who so effectively dismantles that egomania at the heart of Luthor that makes him a villain. And and that is, is so incredible to me. You know, a guy who, if he never loses, he never loses because of his complete belief in himself. Like, obviously, he's one of the smartest people who ever lived, right? Like, you know, depending on the comic, like, if you look at him in, like, All-Star Superman, he looks like he works out every day. He looks like he's, like, so buff and awesome and cool, and he's a billionaire, and he runs a company. But, like... You know, there's just something about the idea that, like, I win because I never consider the idea that I'm not the greatest, and I lose so profoundly because I never consider the idea that I'm not the greatest, which is also Nigma's problem, right? Is like, Nigma's not really as smart as he thinks he is, but, like, vanity is his is his issue, you know? Definitely. And in our, in our Riddler episode, it's really very much about asking the question of, like, you know, if Riddler were a member of the Justice League, would he be great? You know, like, like, like he really is quite good. You know, if you look at, like, Paul Dini's, like, Enigma consulting detective kind of stories, you know, he's clearly got in, in, in him to be as good as Batman or you know, at least a, a kind of Sherlock Holmes. But like, you know, this idea that that every one of Batman's villains 
in some way is an element of Batman out of balance. Um, I've always been obsessed with that notion, you know, and when I find a Batman villain where I can't tell you how he's a commentary on Batman, it becomes clear to me that I don't understand that villain well enough. That's so awesome and interesting and introspective. Now, when you're, when you're writing, are you looking at old comic books for inspiration? Are you, are you looking back at like the DC archive? Oh, and this issue, Batman faces off against this person or Superman up against Lex Luthor, or do you just kind of like, I already, like, I already know where this story is going to, going, going to end up. So I can just fill in the blanks as I'm writing. I, um, I definitely look back at the animated series a lot, um, or the various animated series is right. Yeah. Right. Uh, in part, because I know like that's, um, you know, like I know at least my boss liked it 20 years ago. So there's at least a decent chance that, um, you know, he'll, he'll respond to it again. You know, obviously you don't want to offer them the same thing, but it's good to sort of know the rhythms of the people you're writing for. And obviously that's one of my favorite television shows of all time. In terms of comic books, in, in the world of DC, I basically just go to Grant Morrison. Um, I guess sometimes there's characters where I look back for the classic stories. Like, you know, um, like I, I'm not saying we use Crime Syndicate, but at one point there was talk of using the Crime Syndicate of America. Yeah. So I, I really wanted to look back at all those Silver Age stories and just be like, what were these guys when they first showed up? And uh, the answer, at the risk of uh, drawing the ire of the internet, not much. <laughs> it really takes some of the later writers to add some of what makes these guys work, you know? Definitely. John, I think we're getting ready to wrap it up here. Where and when can we look forward to seeing Justice League action? You know, we still have no idea. Um, this is uh, this is one of the problems with writing um, animation and, and animated television is... Um, it takes really long to animate, and uh, and you're at the mercy of, of network schedules and advertising and all that stuff. Okay. Uh, we'll know when you know. And um, <laughs> at Comic-Con, they said, uh, or I'm sorry, you'll know when we know. And at Comic-Con, they said the fall. So if that okay. is if that is legitimate uh, information, um, you know as well as I do. Gotcha. Where can we find you on uh, social media and all that good stuff? So I'm at John Cowan, I'm pretty sure, on Twitter. Um, I'm www.what-exit.com for my blog. Uh, and, you know, just Jonathan Cowan on Facebook. That's so great. John, it was a really good time talking to you. We appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to come on the show and nerd out with us. Yes. We'll I, hope, I hope it was. I hope I didn't just babble endlessly. No, know. not at all. That's the whole point of this, man. That's that's what we love. That's what we do. We'll, we'll be doing this again if, as long as you're up for it. Yeah, if you're up for it, we'll totally talk to you again. Hopefully uh, talk to you after Justice League action comes out and it gets huge yeah. and everybody's obsessed with it and going crazy. Yeah, talk to me after that Batman Booster episode. I'm yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. I'm down for that. That sounds great, man. And thank you for what you guys do. I, in preparation for this, I listened to your Paul Dini interviews, and I listened to 
your Greg Rucka interview. And it, it is so, I, I just love listening to that guy talk. And you guys are, are good interviewers. Thank oh, you, wow. Thank Thanks. You. That means a lot, man. That really does. We appreciate it. I am the knight. I am the knight.